stay on top of trends. Today's leaders always need to be learning. In this environment of limited resources, the only way to remain competitive is your ability to leverage your most important resource. Welcome to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. In this program, we'll dive into leadership fundamentals that are essential to your success. Now, here's your host, Tom Crea. Good Monday morning. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey with your host, Tom Crea. And today we have the privilege of speaking with our guest, Bill Protman, author of More Than Human, The Value of Cultivating the Human Spirit in Your Organization. Last week, we spoke with Dr. William Seidman about neural leadership. And next week, we're going to speak with Chris Komazarjewski about the power of reputation. You're going to find everything related to this show at Your Evolving Leadership journey.com. You can check out the schedule, see who's next, catch up on any episodes you've missed, and you, if you'd like, continue the discussion with uh, like-minded individuals in our LinkedIn group. Now, if you have any questions during today's shows, here's our call number. It's 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. This show is for any leader who believes in continuous learning. For example, I'm a retired Army officer, and at the end of my career, I ran a leadership development program. And today, my journey still continues. So, we're here because of that. And I honestly believe, as a product of my opinion, the best leadership development culture in the world. We can debate that, of course. But I've invested in the show because all too often I've discovered that people like you just get thrust into a management position without any leadership training and you have to learn by trial and error and it really doesn't have to be that way. So I've taken the time to schedule this list of experts like Bill and we're going to get to talk to you here in a second. And all I ask or we ask in return is if you find value in this show, be sure to like, share and spread the word. Now. Let's get started. So why did I think a chat with Bill about the human spirit would be good for anyone interested in leadership? Well, let's give this a uh, Bill his, an introduction here. First of all, Bill is got a lot of in this in addition to this book and what I what really captured me was just this whole bottom line I would capture it in one word is the attitude of how you treat other people. And Bill is very unique and he's going to be able to, in the second half of this show, tie in what he does with um, music. And so with that, Bill, you got up real early. You're on the West Coast. So, excuse me, West Coast. So I'd like to give you a very warm welcome. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Tom. It's great to be here. Oh, perfect. Look, um, so the human spirit, uh, we're going to get into that. So what do you mean by human spirit and spirituality? And, and in your, your opening of your book, you said, couldn't there be a less charged word? So go ahead. Tell us. Yeah, I couldn't. I wish there was. It'd be so much easier to talk about the human spirit if we had a like a word other than spiritual, which has got all of these connotations around it. It's, it's, it's a tough thing to, to wander into. But, you know, no less than the U.S. Army did this. And I was so incredibly surprised when I was when I was looking around for evidence of how we engage, you know, fully in things mm-hmm. that the army had done a study where they put the, the same kind of value on spiritual readiness that they put on physical, mental and emotional readiness. Because, you know, if you're going to go over the wire, you want to be completely ready for that. You got and you train hard, of course. Mm-hmm. And that training involves all four aspects of our human ability, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And so what the Army found was that if you aren't engaged spiritually, and let, that is, if your spirit isn't in it, then you're not ready. And, um, and of course, then we have to talk about how to get ready spiritually, because uh, 
that's a tough one. If your job is to break things and hurt people, how do you get, how do you prepare for that in, in some way? And, and um, that's a whole different show. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they recognize this, it, it's an essential part of a team. Like, and if you're playing sports ball or something and you go out there and you're just not in the game, you don't feel it, you know, that's, that's the spiritual component that's sort of missing. If you're not engaged in the, yeah, you just kind of feel that internal motivation. And, and that's, the, I think, the thing that the Army was getting at there, that spiritual readiness. Well, I'm, all our listeners are, should, or most of our listeners should be aware that I am a retired Army officer. And so the interesting thing is that you just brought up something that I'm not familiar with, an Army study that I don't know and one of my guests knows. So maybe a little embarrassing, but uh, let me ask you a couple questions on that study. Uh, and I will look it up and go back to your book, and, and I'm sure you've referenced in there. But yes. did that study talk about esprit de corps or the, the ethos of the army. Do you remember that at all? Yes. That's, that's the thing there is that, that important component that sort of gives us a why to use mm-hmm. Simon Sinek's term for it, that, that the thing that really makes us want to, to go, and it's, it's more than earning a living, you know, that there's some other component inside of us that we can fire up that brings full engagement to whatever it is that we're doing. So yeah, esprit de corps, there's lots of words for that. Uh, if, you, if you start to think about it a little bit, it becomes less of a woo-woo thing and more of a practical thing. For example, um, if I'm going to say thank you to somebody, I better, my heart had better be in it, mm-hmm. or it's not going to sound authentic. It's not going to come across the way I want it to. That's interesting. You know, um, what you're talking about is perhaps one of the things that attracted me about your book and, and as well as the uh, guest I had last week who was a neuroleadership neuro expert. And his issue that we're talking about here, he talked about compelling purpose and how that purpose is so important. And, and, and I'm sure that's what attracted to me to your work. Um, so let's go into why does spiritual, spirituality matter in organizations and um, and maybe you want to talk about the four primary is motions as well when you go through that. Sure. So th- this, this thing that's called uh, the human spirit, it can, be, um, it can point us toward best practices or it can point us toward not so best practices. Um, in the book, I talk about Bernie Madoff, who I'm convinced was a brilliant man, was able to do great things. But his overriding purpose didn't trend towards something that was lawful. <laughs> right. The problem with that was, you know, the whole enterprise was a, was a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. But even within that pyramid scheme, this guy was extremely effective. So there's no doubt that he was fully engaged. The question, of course, is, <laughs> was it ethical? <laughs> right, right. So there's this amazing kind of blend of our human spirit, and it can be used for good or ill. And, and your choice about how to use it, of course, is up to you. That, that is where things like free will and stuff come into play. What's your motivation for fully engaging in the enterprise or in the task, whatever it is? And I like to say that those motivations can be found if we dial in our emotional component. And if you're bringing your emotional component to the table, uh, that also brings your authenticity. Mm-hmm. And you can hear that if somebody says, thank you, and it's like flat. There's right. no emotion in that. But if somebody comes to you and really shows appreciation, they're having an emotional component in that. And by that, I mean the four primary emotions being fear, anger, sadness, and joy. You've got to be able to bring some of those primary emotional um, aspects to whatever you do, or you haven't got authenticity. Mm-hmm. And, and believe me, followers know that. <laughs> you can look around. I mean, all of the generals that we see that get to speak to the public, 
and we've heard many things in the past from, um, from Jim Mattis. There's a great example. Mm-hmm. That guy authentic, that video that he shot over in, um, in, in the sandbox someplace not too long ago, wow, that is an authentic guy. He is fully emotionally engaged. And you might say he, 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 this is different than being emotional, mm-hmm. but you can tell that there's that, that compassion and that great empathy that comes from experience that he's able to convey to people who listen to him speak. It's just part of who he is. And there's no doubt in my mind that that human spirit that's behind everything that Mattis says and does is authentic, is genuine, that he's fully present in that, in that human spirit, whatever the aspects of it are that he needs, integrity, honor, respect, compassion. And then there's the more difficult ones too, where integrity calls for you to do things that break things and hurt people. And, and that's, that's a tough practice, you know, Tom? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're, what you're talking about there also reminded me of a guest I had in September, and uh, his focus was on servant leadership. And he, um, we had the whole discussion about uh, Mattis. As a matter of fact, he came up and being a soldier, soldier. And you're what I like about the guests that I have on the show is you're able to take what I consider. I, I have. Uh, I wouldn't call it superficial uh, level of understanding of these things, but but a deeper level of understanding, perhaps than most, because leadership is important to me. But not as deep as what you're where you're going to take the audience. So, with that in mind, as we are trying to help anybody who wants to be a servant leader, um, I want to go back into your history about like, why you wrote this book and talk a little bit about the culture of IBM and you compared it with the army. And of course, that always appeals to me. So, go ahead. When I was experiencing um, my early career, <clears throat> I thought that I needed to be in an organization that was going to sustain me for 30 years. And that was in the 80s. And organizations were changing in the 80s. They were, they were less of a place where you could go and invest your entire career and more of a place where you would stair-step between companies. Mm-hmm. And um, when I approached IBM, um, I was looking for the 30-year solution, you know, the place where I, can, I could hang out, I could live. I, was, I came from a military family, so I, was, I had this ethos about the culture being the thing. And IBM had a great culture, so I joined. But you know what? It turns out I wasn't blue. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a great place, and I could see that everything about it was just um, amazing. It was the culture that I thought I wanted, except that I didn't fit. I I had a different sort of ethos and purpose in my life, and I didn't know what that was. I just knew it didn't work at IBM. And so not only did I have this incredible achievement of being able to go from nothing to a a marketing rep trainee, but I also had to unwind from that because my spirit was different. And that isn't to say there's anything wrong with IBM. There's anything wrong with where I was. It's just, it was a, it was a process of learning what my authentic expression of whatever I do in life needs to be and, and how, it wasn't exactly the same as the other colleagues that were in my marketing class. Right. So it, it was a tough thing to be able to say, yes, here I am, I'm doing this. And you know what? It isn't quite right. And I need to step back from that and find something that was more in my lane, which is entrepreneurial. And I'm, I'm a rebel at heart. You know, I, I go out and try to find the new way. That guy that, uh, that Stephen Covey talks about who climbs up the palm tree and looks around in the forest and, and hollers down to everybody else, hey, we're in the wrong forest. <laughs> <laughs> Take your machetes and go somewhere else. So uh, that, was, that was my sort of introduction to what it's like to want to be a part of a culture in which I didn't fit. Mm-hmm. And, and tough lesson, right? Right. But that comes not from a place that's bad or wrong. It just comes from a place of starting to understand who you, in fact, are. And that understanding is one that's, that's very personal. You know, it, 
it has an outward expression, of course, but if you can get that clear, wow, there's so much you can do with that information once you understand it. How do you get clear? For me, it was just feeling this uncomfortable sense, like, hey, this is a great place. Why am I uncomfortable here? There's something that's not, that doesn't jive with me at a core level. And that kind of guidance can help anyone, I think, find their best place if it's an employment or find their best target if it's an opportunity, whatever that is. That emotional component really helped me in that case. Well, you know, that, that's, I actually think it's invaluable. I was lucky because on the other hand, I, I was in the culture that I believe was the right culture for me and I was very happy and, and, uh, and things, I, I would say, came a little, I wouldn't say came easier for me, but I felt like they weren't so hard and, and, and I could see other people struggling because they weren't in the right place. It didn't mean they weren't good people. It didn't mean they weren't good leaders. It's just that they were in the wrong playing field, if you will, like you said, the wrong forest. I, I always use the baseball example, or if you're on the diamond or you're not on the diamond, um, if you're, you're out in the stands watching. So, um, you know, that tough lesson that you learned, is there anything deeper that you would share that, because I'm sure there are listeners out there who might say, you know, I'm going through something like that. Well, anything that really tripped your switch and said, you know, it's time for me to leave IBM and, you know, a great place, no, no, nothing, no, no burning bridges, but time to go. You know, it's the interesting realization that um, even when you're in what seems like the very best possible place with people who are doing remarkable things out of, you know, for incredible reasons, whether they're altruistic or opportunistic or whatever, and, and they're doing it with integrity and respect and just all the right components are there, even in that kind of a situation, it's possible to feel that you don't fit and that's okay. It's exactly. Totally okay. it, we're non-binary when it comes to these emotional things, you know, and, and they're there for our guidance. And if we approach them without judgment, oftentimes we have to make difficult situations um, even more complex by choosing something that's outside the lane. But that's leadership, mm-hmm. you know, that's leadership. It's saying, yes, we're doing this and it's all good. However, <laughs> and right. here's the next thing, or here's, here's the next challenge, or here's how we can prepare, here's how we can anticipate what comes next. And those are gut level things, you know, Tom, that sometimes, sometimes the leaders just sense what's happening. And that's what makes leaders great. Whether they're servant leaders or battlefield leaders and, and, or, you know, the, the, the soldier's soldier kind of leaders. Mm-hmm. And that, that sixth sense that often looks so mysterious, well, it's not really. It's just being tuned in to something that's, that's very internal, where one tiny little thing doesn't feel like maybe it's in alignment with everything else. Pay attention to that, right? Th- those are the things that help us move and, and excel and, and jump over the competition and all the other things that, are, that we want are sometimes in those little things that nudge us just enough to get our attention and help us find a new way or... Hang, actually hang in there if hanging in there is a component. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, the values part and the four emotions. And so in that authenticity, there's a, there's a cycle and a circle that's going on there. And um, the experience, when I, when I speak and I talk and I say, I talk about these values and here are the Army's values. And I go through the acronym of LDR, SHIP, and the acronym is leadership. Go figure the Army has something like that. Um, but the point is, is that when I finish that story, I say, look, it's important that you, whatever values of the organization you choose, they need to align with your own. Because when they are that way, you're more natural, you're more authentic, as you would say. You could tie it in the four emotions. Now, do you want to pick up on that at all? Sure. There's an easy way to tell whether you fit or not. 
<laughs> and that's how it feels. Uh, it can feel really bad sometimes to have to do what we have to do. But if your culture is one that's supportive and all of you are in that, in that same kind of, you know, tough place together, feeling the same things, uh, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. When you're the outlier, like me, I'm an outlier, basically, um, I often feel completely different than the people that are in the room or that I'm working with. And it's not that there's a judgment around that. It's just different. And that difference, that difference in perspective, that difference in feeling, um, the, the non-binary ability to look around and say, hey, you know, what, where are we now? often comes from a feeling. It often comes from a feeling. If you can put it down on paper and analyze it, sometimes an analyst can give you a direction and say, hey, if you keep doing this, you're going to be bankrupt, right? Don't do that. <laughs> That's more of a, a mental uh, approach to things. Obviously, if you're in a physical environment and you can't lift the weight or do the work, um, that's a warning too. You need to pay attention to that. If your job is like being a warehouse person for Amazon and it's physically draining for you, that's that's an indication. That's pretty clear, right? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, if you're engaged with a team that feels and acts and thinks the way that you do, oh my gosh, the the feelings that come along with that are incredible fuel. Because in that situation, just like the, you know, a unit going over the wire, in that situation, you can do almost anything. And it just feels like you can do almost everything. Right. And so, so look, why don't you segue right into your, um, your feel-good, I'll call it, story about Sammy Soap. You want to talk about that? <laughs> Sammy Soap is such a great place. I, I do a lot of work with homeless people, volunteering and uh, teaching music classes to homeless people. And one day, I don't know where I saw this now. It, it's really crazy, Tom, but Sammy Soap is one of those organizations that just got started with a different idea. And the idea behind Sammy Soap was that we need to find a way for people who need to earn an income to do that that's different from any other organization out there that would be able to hire people in this situation. So the people that Sammy Soap wanted to employ are people who have, um, I I hate the term mental illness, so I'll say uh, behavioral challenges, people dealing with schizophrenia or bipolarity, just people who otherwise would have a difficult time holding down some regular job. And uh, Sammy Soap figured that they could make a product that people who are in that situation could do well and that they could sell it for enough to sustain the company and uh, that this process of employing people who otherwise would be seen as unemployable would be a beneficial thing for the world. And uh, and so that's exactly what they did. They they make soap. It's incredible. It's that high quality stuff where you pay like $9 a bar for it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's full of all kinds of amazing uh, aromatherapy and herbs and just, you know, it's, it's like designer soap and it's, it does well, it does well. And Sammy soap is, it must be uh, an amazing place to work because if you're in a situation where you are for some reason, not normal, (laughs) it's a terrible thing to say, but for behavioral health reasons, if you're not normal, finding a tribe that's doing something productive is very difficult. It's really hard to go out there and say, you know what, I'm bipolar and I want a job. But Sammy Soap gave that kind of person a tribe to be productive in and to feel good about and, to, and a product that they can be proud of. And, and they were able to fire up the human spirit of people who otherwise would have very limited opportunities to engage you know, successfully as an employee. 
Isn't that an amazing story? Absolutely. And it might be very hyper-specific or niche, um, but I want to actually ask you a question about I'm not sure we're going to get the right terminology here and neither of us means to be offensive here, but you've got the, the majority of people that are working. Those people that are not challenged, why, why, why would you say that they joined that Sammy Soap organization? I mean, obviously there's something that drew them to it. What is it? And that, and to me, that's just such the, the essence of what we want to talk about here right now today in the values of an organization. I've spent a lot of time uh, with people who are at risk and they come in all flavors and sizes. Uh, the ones that are most obvious, of course, are people who are homeless or veterans who are blown up or in recovery. There's, there's a lot of awareness of at-risk people out there. But in the process of doing that, I learned that I'm at risk as well. We all are, in fact, some ways uh, at risk of being uh, affected by the way the world is or by the way that we individually are. Uh, I don't have a diagnosis, but I deal with behavioral issues a lot. I'm, I, my job is making music, so I, as, a, as a musician, I have to get big emotions. I'm pretty familiar with what the big emotions feel like. And I have that in common with other people who, for whatever reason, don't have a filter on their emotion and are able to express them in some way that's not the, quote, norm, like not what you'd see in the cubicle farm, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of keep things in check in the cubicle farm. Not so much on the street. So this, this idea of being able to engage with people in a more authentic way was opened up for me by the folks that I deal with as a volunteer, by the most at-risk people. When you're, when you're homeless, you're authentic. Mm-hmm. There's not too much you have to hide from. Oh, sure, you have, to, you have to make sure no one steals your shoes and there's other things too, but you're an authentic person. And that authentic person when you meet an authentic person that way is an incredible individual. And I imagine at Sammy Soap, being able to work alongside people who aren't afraid to quote, be who they are uh, is a refreshing thing. Mm-hmm. I, I jump into something like that, given the opportunity, that'd be amazing for me. It's pretty difficult to get people out of their space and into an authentic one uh, when you're dealing with, you know, a bunch of accountants or whatever, Not, nothing against accountants, folks, we need you. But that's a whole different ball of wax than when you're dealing with people who have nothing to lose, essentially, and are just able to be who they are. That's an incredible place to be and to work with people in that place. Oh, my all God. Right, Bill, but um, I guess I want to circle back to, and that was all great, but what, here's what I want to circle back to. Those people who join the organization, for instance, you know, things that impact us, and, and I'm starting to, to grasp more of what you mean by the fear, anger, grief, and joy. You know, when... When, let's say you're going to volunteer for an organization and something impacts you in your life. And let's say your niece had leukemia and suddenly you're now very passionate about leukemia. I don't have your experience with the homeless, so I, I don't have that same passion. It doesn't mean that I don't support your work. Mm-hmm. It just means that I'm not going to be as committed because I don't have your passion. And I, and I firmly believe that when people join organizations with the with that sort of passion and that, you know, I believe in these values and I'm going to commit, this is what's going to make that's what makes organizations great is when you can attract a bunch of like-minded people who share those values. So um, that's what I meant by the, the people who were less challenged, if you will, who are part of that organization and the, the values that attract them, they're different than mine. That's what's going to make them better in that organization. That's what made you different in IBM versus being an entrepreneur. So um, any further thoughts? Cause we're going to approach a break soon, but I want you to uh, speak to that. And then I, I want to talk about some other things too. Sure. The the tasks and things that we're all good at and our approaches to them and all of the other sort of skills that we have, 
um, are necessary. You've got to have skill set to make the whole thing fly. But we do have this commonality that we all share, and that's the emotional commonality, where we want to be authentic, we want to be respectful, we want to do all those good spiritual best practices, right? So it, the question for each one of us is, in my skill set, how do I come to the table authentically? And I, I think that's where we can go. Like after the break, we'll go there. To be that authentic person, you've got to engage with the emotional component of who you are. And you can engage with that through the human spirit. You can engage with that through meditation. You can engage with that. There's lots of ways to be able to, to dial in your emotional component. Um, I happen to be an expert on using music for that, but be that as it may, mm-hmm. if, you can, if you can dial up that emotional component, you'll find that everything that you does you do (laughs) everything you do has a ring of authenticity to it that it wouldn't have if you didn't connect with the other person or with your own uh, emotions it's that old you know have a nice day thing yeah i'm gonna have a nice day sure fine but if someone really comes to you with with a genuine wish for you to have a nice day that's a whole different thing and you can bring that emotional component to uh you know, to the coffee machine in the, or the break room. You can bring it to meetings, which is an amazing thing. And we'll talk about how to do that. But these are little sort of ways to, to open up that human spirit just a little bit, just a little bit more than it's normally open and to pull some authenticity in with that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So let, let me, um, we have enough time for one more question here for you to respond to. You know, one of the things I, I, uh, when I was reading your book, I, I just sensed this attitude in you. And, and it goes to one of your later chapters where you're having this, you're, you're sharing this dialogue. And essentially what I, my takeaway was is that you, Bill, are the type of person that if, let's say you and I don't agree on something hypothetically, and we're going to have an argument. Um, you, no, you, we're gonna, we can have a debate or discussion. I, I believe you use the word discussion. And it's just the way you framed it. I feel like the way you would respond to people is that you're just not going to, um, there's, you're, you're, you're going to approach it much differently. And I believe it's your attitude, number one, that, that attracted me there. And I, I guess I would tell you and to close out that last part that you were saying, it's, it's much, much easier to have a great attitude when you're doing what you love. So if you can talk about those two things and then we'll go to break after that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we got less than a minute to figure out. No, no, no. You, you, <laughs> pause it. We, we, we will pause it. Um, if, if you want to take it, we're going to do this after the break. We absolutely can do that because uh, I don't want you to short trip this particular idea. But uh, give a quick comment, and then we'll come back to it. pick it up right after the break. Yeah, that, remember doing what you love. So there's an emotion, right? So if you know what you love, wow, that's a gift. <laughs> I'm still learning. I, I, I knew something about what I loved when I was faced with the IBM question. But that doing what you love, wow, can you unpack that for us in a way that gives us some real tools that how do we, you know, do, how do we find what we love? How do we know we're doing it if we're, if we're doing it? What, you know, and the answer is that you feel it. Yeah. You can feel it, right? Yeah. So you got to have some practice in your feelings in order to be able to know when the thing comes along that you love it. Right. Well, and like I said earlier, I definitely felt it when I was a, a young 20-something person in the Army. Uh, I loved doing that. And, and I would tell you that I'm, it's not as easy to get to there. It hasn't been as easy a path as it was when I got out of college as an entrepreneur because it's different for me. Well, look, um, we've been talking about the human spirit with Bill Protzman, and we are going to come back after this break. But uh, for our listeners, if you have any questions, our call-in number is 866 866- 
866-472-5790. That, again, that's 866-472-5790. And when we come back, Bill's going to talk, talk more about attitude, and we'll close that out. And then he's going to take us into something that I'm just not good at at all, and that's music. And I'm looking forward to that. All right. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. As Tom works with leaders, something he consistently sees is their struggle with engagement and retention. Then their frustration with having to repeat the employee development process again and again. What most people don't know is the answer lies in love. Once they realize that they simply need to apply the golden rule, the results are surprising. They start bringing out the best in others. They develop confident, capable employees, and they find they have more fun and freedom and less stress in their lives. Perhaps most importantly, they satisfy what they've been craving. Now they've created the culture that they and their team have always wanted. This is when Synergy takes over, and the results are astounding. The first step is critical. When you exhibit the self-awareness and humility that shows you need to learn and improve continuously, you set the example and encourage others to follow. To learn more, visit Blackhawk Leadership Development at BlackhawkSpeaks.com. That's BlackhawkSpeaks.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you have questions or comments about the program, you may send an email to Tom at BlackHawkSpeaks.com. Now, back to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Welcome back. You've been listening to Voice America Business Radio and again, your evolving leadership journey. And today's topic is about the human spirit. So far, we've spent the first part of this morning or this segment speaking with Bill Protzman about the human spirit. And we had finished that last segment and we were talking about attitude and I made the comment that it's it's much easier um, when you have a great attitude to and you're doing what you love to be an effective uh, person whatever. So go ahead, Bill. You wanted to say much more, I believe. <laughs> sure. So attitude is, is incredible. Uh, you can choose to have a bad attitude. Of course, you can choose to have a good one. But what goes behind that? I mean, there's, there's practices that are part of being a good attitude. I, I'm saying it that way on purpose. <laughs> so those practices might be things like kindness. It's always, uh, it's always great to be around someone who's kind. Uh, humor, that's a tough one. I'm working on humor. But you can practice humor too. I mean, it's, you can learn a bunch of jokes or you can take an improv class. These are incredible ways that best practice organizations interact with one another. It's, you know, it's no fun to pick up the phone and hear somebody on the other end who's having a bad day. And you can tell right in their voice, you know, right away. And 
if you are uh, if you're doing a spiritual practice that allows you to always come forward with whatever it is that your job requires if that's a customer facing job to have that kind of attitude if it's an internal sort of number crunching or coding job there's attitude for that too and you could choose those things i like to enliven those attitudes by as we've talked about connecting them to emotion because if you bring your emotion to it it's authentic we talk a lot about authenticity these days everybody wants to be authentic be the authentic leader and you can't do that if you're not fully engaged if you're not physically engaged mentally engaged emotionally engaged, and I like to say spiritually engaged, because the human spirit is a huge part of what you bring to your occupation, of what you bring to your team, right? Mm -hmm. So, how can you come with your best game and do that reliably? Well, it takes some practice. Oftentimes, we just kind of show up and, you know, turn on the lights and bring up the computer, grab some coffee, and start whatever we do, and, and that's great, but what, it, what could you bring that's more than that? And I'm not talking about being a little Mary Sunshine. I mean, that's a part of it too. There is a there is a component of joy that's very useful, but there are times in organizations where joy doesn't figure, oh, and and the organization itself has to stay on its game as it deals with whatever the stressors are that are causing it to be less than joyful. <laughs> I don't know. Is, are there any organizations where it's joyful all the time? Let's be honest. I'm so, sure no. You know, we, we need to be nimble. And they call this emotional intelligence, but I think it's, it goes deeper than that. So um, if, if your job, for example, is one that faces customers and you have to be appreciative and kind most of the time, because that's the thing that we know wins business and keeps people around and makes you know, sustainable enterprises sustainable, how do you practice kindness? It's more than just saying thank you, right? There, there must be something else that's in kindness that makes it authentic. And that authentic component of it is not just saying the words or choosing to say them. It's how it feels when you say it. It's kind of like being an actor. You know, if, if, you're a, if you're a bad actor, people can tell you're not a great actor because you're, you're sort of flat. There's no, there's no authenticity there. You're saying the lines, but you're not connecting with anybody around them. And you can practice as an actor, bringing your emotions to the game, but you don't have to be an actor to do this. We all feel what it's like to be appreciated from time to time, I hope. If, you're, if you haven't been appreciated in a while, then call me up because we can work on that. But you know, what, you know how good it feels to have somebody genuinely appreciate you? Wow, that's, that's like, that can be an amazing thing. What does so, it feel like to offer that appreciation? Can you offer it the same way that you experienced it? Can you dig that deep? And how do you practice doing that? Stand in front of a mirror saying thank you and see how you look or whatever? Well, that, that, that's one way. But um, I, I like to find a way into the emotional component of gratitude that everyone can relate to and that everyone can use. So even if you're standing in front of the mirror practicing you've got a quick way to connect with that emotion of gratitude. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Now, I want to, there are two comments that I want to um, touch on. And, uh, and then we, I want to somehow have you take us into music, which again, it's going to be, a, it's a mystery to me. So uh, I'm, I'm curious where we're going to go with it. But let's talk about attitude. When you were talking about attitude, there was a study that was done a while back where it said, uh, asked the CEOs, what do they attribute their success most? And it was either attitude, skills, or knowledge. And the unique thing was that skills and knowledge, their answer was only 15% of the time. 85% of the time, people 
these CEOs attributed their success to attitude. And then when we break attitude down, at least in the work that I do, attitude is a function of your values and your beliefs. If you're in the right ball field, you're going to be much more, you're going to have that positive attitude. So I wanted to close that out. But if you have a final comment, go ahead. If not, I want to move on to the next thing that you said. Sure. I'm, I'm all about that. That makes perfect sense to me. 85% attitude. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the next thing you said is, you know, you want to feel appreciated. And one of the stories that I tell when I, I deliver my keynote is that um, I had to learn to delegate. And I'll try to make this brief so that you can pick up from where I left off, where I leave you off. So in order for me to get to my sister's wedding, long story short, I had to be able to, to I was going to not be allowed to go on vacation. My boss was going to deny the vacation. So I had to learn to delegate. And, and after I decided to do that, and, you know, that, that's a risk for a leader to delegate because, you know, you've got to trust the people. Um, but there's a lot that goes into that as well. You've got to develop and you've got to train them so that they can be effective. And, and so when I returned from my abbreviated uh, trip from Korea to home, back to Korea. So when you get seven days of vacation to do that, it amounts to about three because of the the length of the trip. At any rate, I return and I notice this huge difference in attitude. And and, uh, But you want to know where I noticed that that difference most, Bill? It was in me. Because here's what happened. I, I discovered that that you know that feeling you get when you give somebody a gift and they really appreciate it i was when i was delegating i was empowering them and i was giving them the opportunity to shine it wasn't something that i needed i was the number 3 person in the unit i didn't need anybody any adulation or any of that stuff uh, praise what i needed to do is i needed to develop and build my people and so i get, i i felt like the lesson i learned there was i gave them that gift and it was like wow what a discovery that was for me but go ahead <laughs> just congratulations. That's that's an incredible lesson because you found the feeling, right? And that that feeling is the thing that makes you uh, convinces you that you're on the right road. And by offering your team an empowerment, uh, you opened up the way for them to empower you. <laughs> it's it, it's that old adage where you can't receive what you can't give. You gave them this incredible opportunity like basically empowering people to do things with your trust and your respect that they turned right around and gave right back to you and said, yes, Tom, we respect you. And we've done these things and your trust was well-placed, right? That, that two-way street just opens up when you come from that place of allowing the emotional component. Yeah. And, and I, in, I can't tell you, the listeners, I learned that, fortunately, as a young captain, and uh, it, it changed the way I led for the rest of my career. Now, Bill, I'm going to trust you and get very risky here because I don't know where we're going to go now. How do you tie in music to all this? I just don't get it. I mean, I, I want to know because if, if you can bring in I, – I've listened to some of your munis, your concert pianists, right? Is that right? Yes, that's true. Yeah, and, and you've got – high acclaims and I can't give them to, so I won't, I won't speak them correctly or say them correctly. And I'll probably say the wrong thing. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to give you any disservice, but how do you tie in all that great work? And I've listened to some of your work, uh, your works in the, on the piano. And it's when I listen to it, wow, this is inspirational. So how does, how do you take that into an organization? How do you take that? Start with the individual and then take us into an organization. So I've learned that it's important to be able to feel everything. Um, all the feels as they like to say, and the, the, the breaks come on those feelings when you want to implement them, when you put them into action. 
because there are big feelings that we can have that we probably shouldn't act out on uh, without, you know, risking things that, and it's not just a risk like this where, okay, you're gonna open the conversation. We're going to see what happens. It's there are risks where people can get hurt if you act out on feelings, but the feelings are there for a reason. They're not there to be stuffed or put aside. And a lot of times in business, especially if you're in, you know, an organization that's, that's, like a military organization, showing your emotions is, is not something that's going to help. So I'm not talking about showing your emotions. I'm talking about feeling them, feeling them fully and not being afraid of any of them because they're all there to mind us. In this, in this uh, example that you gave about turning over delegation, delegating to the team, um, there's a, a, an authentic component of that that inspires people to accept your trust and to do great things with that. And you were able to find that emotional component so that when you turned over projects to your team, they accepted them in the same kind of spirit of authenticity that you brought to them. And I think this is what makes great leaders is that somehow great leaders are able to include that emotional component in the way that they interact with their team more fully than, uh, than not so great leaders are. And, for the ones who are truly great, they're able to engage with that emotional component, that authentic component in a way that is inspiring and motivational versus demotivational. Because there are leaders out there who are very demotivational too, believe me. I, mm-hmm. it's, it's no fun to hang out with them, but being in, in the IT world for a long time, I've met both kinds and, and there's an incredible difference. There's just such an incredible difference. Talk about some of that in the book. So. Uh, if you are in a place where you want to become more authentic as a leader, one of the ways to do that is to engage with your emotions. It's, it's really interesting to me to sit down with someone and say, so tell me, uh, and we'll just use you as an example. So Tom, tell me what your music is for gratitude. And that's what happens. You get dead air for a little while. Right. I thought about that before. What is my music for gratitude? Do I have gratitude music? Why would I need gratitude music? But as you think about that, there is music out there that inspires you to feel the same way that you feel if someone is giving you appreciation. If someone's showing you gratitude, there's music out there for that. Hmm. You can feel the same way. Now, what music is it? Well, it's different for all of us. So your gratitude music might be one thing and mine might be something completely different. I found a little song that's a, actually a choir song. It's called Gratitude or Grateful or something like that. And just when I hear that, I just get this feeling of feeling so appreciated and so cared for and just, um, just, just safe and, um, and, and happy, but not like ecstatic, just satisfied. That little song brings all of those emotions in for me. And if I'm someone that wants to show gratitude and I can't feel that authentically, well, I'm going to be limited in how I can show gratitude. I, I need to have the full emotional component to make my gratitude authentic. And it's going to work. I mean, saying thank you is going to work. It really is. But if you can say thank you with all of that emotional stuff that's part of your gratitude, engaged, that makes the expression so much more powerful. Same thing with trust. When you're turning over, when you're delegating to your team, you're showing great trust. And sometimes you're just showing it on a wing and a prayer. It's like, guys, you got to do this because I can't be here, right? So take over. Mm -hmm. And if they're trained and they know what they're going to do, you're in great shape. Right. If you're a little bit, you know, it's like, well, did I do this? It, does everybody know? It's like, there's questions, right? The first time you delegate, it's a little bit more difficult than the next time. So you've got to feel 
that authenticity. Otherwise, your trust is going to be, well, I kind of don't know if you guys are going to be able to handle this, but I need you to take all the responsibility while I'm gone, right? And then there's a different emotional component to that. Then if I came to you and said, Tom, I've got this project. I can't be here for two weeks. It's yours. Anything you need, I'm here for you. But man, I trust you to do this. There's a different emotional component to those things, isn't there? Mm -hmm. So music is a way that you can dial into those emotions. I don't know what your trust emotions might feel like, um, but there's certainly an element of pride in there, an element of humility, because you're hoping that the person you're giving the thing to is going to be able to do the job, right? But you train them so you think that they will, and you're giving them their opportunity. So these little emotional aspects of what we do, that's the authenticity part of the practice. You can practice gratitude by finding music that lets you dial up the emotions of gratitude for you. It's a hunt. It's on, right? If you haven't done it before, it's going to be a hunt the first time you do it, but then it's going to sort of slide into place. You'll find out that lots of the music that you love lets you engage with emotions that you need as a leader to be able to be authentic, to be able to be inspiring, to be able to exercise discipline when that comes along. There's a, there's a huge component to things where we have to act in a way that we don't want to have to act, but we have to do it for the good of the team. Um, there's emotion behind that too. And if the music that you need is music that helps you be strong, well, there's great music out there for that. But you need to combine that with other music that might help you feel um, compassion if it's discipline that you have to bring. These are tough things. But practicing the emotional component by putting those aspects of your job, your tasks, to the music that unlocks their emotional content is really powerful. So let me um, share some more personal stuff here because I'm trying to, to really grasp what you're saying here. Um, you, earlier you made the comment, I wrote this down, you said sharing your emotions versus feeling your emotions. And, and I, I'm still not with you on the feeling part. I'm, 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 uh, I'm a believer, <laughs> I guess, in showing your emotions. So I'll tell you a quick little story. Uh, let's just say that uh, when I was in the Army and I led, I, uh, I was probably one to wear my emotions on my sleeve perhaps more than other people were. And, and that was a strength as well as a weakness. Um, I, I definitely know that it was a double-edged uh, sword there. But um, in one case, uh, there's a story, and I want to share with you the emotion. I, after I had learned to delegate, I, I uh, decided I was going to do that in my next job, which was a command position, which is, as you probably know, is a, is a big deal, and you got a lot of people um, who report to you, and you're responsible for everything. Well, I'm landing a helicopter at the National Training Center in Fort Irwin, California, and as I'm going to the approach, I ask for it's, if it's clear to my crew chief, and I have to trust them, right? So the, uh, the long and the short of it is, as I lowered that collective, and I was told it was clear when everybody got out, the crew chief gets out and says, uh-oh, and I mean, what do you mean, uh-oh? There's a big rock underneath, and I'm like, there's rocks all over this mountain. A big rock punctured the bottom. Oh, we got to shut down get a uh, permission for a one-time return-only flight, and guess what? A few days later, I go out with a different crew, entirely different crew, same type of experience, same thing happens, and this time I go back to my boss, and there's emotion in my, I'm just so frustrated because I had just 
destroyed two helicopters and not destroyed, but I, but they needed to be repaired. And it's going to take a couple of days at least to get them fixed. So let's talk about the great emotion. You know, there was a tear in my eye. You said that people in the military don't have emotion. Well, sometimes we do. And so I'm in front of my boss and I have a tear coming out of my eye because I'm reporting to him that this is me. The second time it's happened within a week. Um, so go ahead, comment on that. I mean, I'm still not a believer that sharing your emotions is so bad, but not that it's bad, but you say feeling it, but I'm curious where you're going to go with this. I love this story. There's so many times where we have to show up and say, I did this. And the, I did this part of it isn't good news. That's the hardest conversation to have with your boss. You know, it's like, Hey Tom, I, I messed up and here's the damage. And you know, it's like that. And, and th- I've seen this happen. I've been in that place, too. Not to interrupt you, but the, the expression, I'm sure it's not just the Army, is good. bad news never gets better with age, but go ahead. Yes, exactly, right? So being authentic in that place is oftentimes um, a luxury. Like if you're in a battlefield situation, you blow a, blow a hole in the bottom of a helicopter, um, there's a different kind of urgency around that than if you're training and you train for it so that when you get into battle, you'll be able to do it then too, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's why that's the whole point of training, whole point of practice. So I think that you brought the exact right emotional component to that meeting. There's no reason for you to stand there, stiff upper lip and say, you know, you, you actually felt bad about this thing that was happening. That's, that's authentic. That's honest. That's you want to know what my guys used to call me after that? Uh, I was a captain? Yeah, you probably got a bunch of it, didn't you? Well, 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 no, since I was a captain, think of the cereal. They used to call me Captain Crunch. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wasn't that nice yeah. of them? Yeah, that's them. perfect. But see, that's, that's humor, right? Right. So it, it sort of mitigates the thing by bringing in an, another emotional component that, that allows you to relieve the pressure, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be different right. if they came after you and kept, you know, hounding you for, the, for punching holes in the bottom of a couple of ships. It's like... <laughs> so, so your emotional component was, was, was key, probably part of why you're the leader, because leaders that have that ability are strong and they're trustable. Why? Because we relate on an emotional level. We can tell looking in someone's eyes if they're the real thing or not and, and how, why, I don't know the science, there's neuroscience on this. Mm-hmm. You know, we asked last week's guest, he can explain it, but that emotional component is the thing that, that comes with power. And yeah, you keep circling back to words that I think it's important for every listener to hear is that you, you keep talking about trust, your level of authenticity. Now, I want to get back to your work in music, and I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to be trite here, but um, I love the sound of helicopters. And, and to this day, when my kids hear, and I see a helicopter, I hear a helicopter, and I say, you hear that? And they're like, what? And I say, you hear that right there? I said, that's the sound of music. I'm not trying to minimize what you do, but it's, it's important to me. So let's take that from... From my love of listening to the blades of a helicopter fly overhead to just people in nature listening to the birds sing. What do you think about that? Well, all sound is tension and release. It's a vibration, but there's a compression and then a relaxation, right? Tension and release, tension and release. And the sound of a helicopter, that that is an incredible tension and release. And and you're going to respond to that. We respond. We we resonate. We're all like like the the back of a guitar, the sounding board of a guitar. Human beings resonate for sounds, and the sound of that amazing. I don't know. Helicopters sound different ways too. Have you noticed? <laughs> oh, I, I've noticed, but now I'm sure not everybody else does. But but I'm in. I'm, I was in the industry. But go ahead. Yeah. So you know. But those sounds. So the tension release that's going on there is having an effect on all of us. And the more tension release there is in a slice of time 
uh, the different the effect is going to be. So the wop 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 of a rotor blade is sort of like uh, a kick drum. If you're a, going to hear an EDM concert, that kick drum is bam, bam. It's slower than a helicopter sound, but it's, but it's the same kind of tension and release. And the same tension release is there in symphonic music. It's very dense in symphonic music. It's somewhat slower when we hear the kick drum or the rotor blades, but it's still tension release. And that energy, that, that vibrational energy is working on us. It's having an effect on us in some way. And that effect is highly individual, although we can say that the kick drum is pretty good for dancing most of the time. You won't do your, you know, you're not going to go there to figure out, you know, your homework or something. The dance hall is a great place for movement. Mm -hmm. However, if it's intellectual stimulation that you want, you're going to have to find a different sort of frequency of tension release. That is number of tension and releases per second. You want to sort of turn that up a little bit and whatever the, the, I don't want to say the tempo, but whatever the, the number of tensions and releases per time slice is about a helicopter blade really resonates for you. Yeah. So look, Bill, we, we only got um, a couple more minutes and I want to, I want to share one more example with you. Sure. Um, Cause perhaps you can point our listeners into the right direction, how they would apply music. So our family's at a football game Friday night. And uh, at, after halftime, we hear the, uh, the two different bands from the opposing teams. And, uh, and I say to my wife, I like the one better than the other. And she just looks at me with kind of some, some surprise. And, and I, I definitely like the music. So I don't know how I would make that. Uh, how, how would you guide somebody to say, Hey, find the music you love and somehow use it into your work or whatever. Uh, yeah. So we all have our likes and dislikes and the music you love. Uh, the research is that that's your most powerful music. So the question of course is why, what makes it powerful for you? Well, it's the emotional component that it does for you. And as you begin to unpack how you feel with music, you can use that emotional component and deploy it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. You know that the Star Spangled Banner, for example, makes us feel a certain way. Right. Where do we need those emotions. Uh, where can we use those emotions of pride and patriotism and, and all humility in some ways? And how can we use that? There are places where you can engage those emotions. And when you need them, the science is that if you remember a song, the emotional component of it comes to you instantly. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. So if, if you need to dial up a sense of pride and you can't find anything that's close by to make you feel that because you want to you show it authentically, then the Star Spangled Banner does that for you. All you got to do is remember the first few notes and you're there. You've got the, you've got the emotion that you need. That's interesting. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Wow. Well, look, we, we've got less than a minute left, and I just want to say I feel like I've only – you're taking me on this journey here, which is why this show is called what it's called. And, and you're getting me to the point where I guess I just never really appreciated music. And hopefully the you, the listeners out there are much more advanced than I am. Um, I, I certainly wish that for you. And, uh, and I just, I appreciate um, this journey you've taken me and us on today. Um, I keep saying me, I don't normally do that, but perhaps because I've got so much room to grow here. Um, and that could be it. Well, look, any final comments? We've only got a few seconds and then we got to close. Oh, just thank you for the opportunity to talk, Tom. This is amazing. And to open up your appreciation in a new way, what a gift. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Look, everybody, you've been listening to your evolving leadership journey with your host, Tom Crea. Today's guest has been Bill Protzman. Next week, we're going to listen to, on Veterans Day, another Army veteran who flew the UH-1, Chris Kamajazarski. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Evolving Leadership Journey. Be sure to join host Tom Crea for another edition next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a great week.